Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on the Dan's podcast is Jane Hansen of NBC, and she's been making a long-time career there as an anchor, and she's won numerous uh, Emmy Awards, which I'm going to ask her about, and uh, also about some of the more interesting stories that she's covered. First of all, uh, where are you from, and and how did you get interested in broadcasting? Well, I'm from a little tiny town in rural Minnesota called Canby, C-I-N-B-Y. The town slogan used to be, be all you can be in Canby, but I kind of decided to be all I can be in New York City. <laughs> but it's about, as, huh? it's, a, it's about as far different from New York as it could possibly be, 2,500 people without a stoplight. And um, I was just fortunate enough to get a job at NBC when I was very young. I was in my early 20s. My father was a little bit upset that I was moving into the big city because he thought it was a little dangerous because it was a long time ago, yes. but um, I'm still alive. So I guess I made it. Yeah, same here. Although uh, I worked with the New York Times, but very briefly and uh, decided I liked life better out where it was beautiful. Exactly. Well, and I've had a home in the Hamptons for 23 years, so I apparently like it as well. What do you do when you're here? When I'm out, when I'm out east, you mean? Yes. Well, I like to go to the beach. I like to play tennis. I like to play golf. I like to uh, ride my bike. I like to cook in the backyard. Um, I actually just sold that house, but now I'm renting a place. And so um, I still like to do the same things. And uh, to me, it's just a really wonderful lifestyle. And I think um, it's much more low key. And especially all the years that I lived in Manhattan, to have that as a weekend escape just couldn't have been nicer because I think one needs it, the, the hustle and bustle of the city, the noise, the, you know, the work that I did then for NBC, which was really you know, severe deadlines. I got up at 3.20 every morning when I did the early morning news to go into the station. So um, getting that respite by going to Long Island um, in the weekends, and then of course, during, during the week, during a lot of the summer was just golden. Couldn't have been more wonderful. I read you've won, you've had, I guess, five or six Emmys that you've won. And I wondered what you can tell me about some of those stories that seem to jump out. Well, actually, it was nine. So, um, and, you know, they were for a variety of different things. One of the Emmys, one of the first ones was for a series of reports I did about breast cancer and breast cancer Um, patients and victims. And it was interesting because that one came way back in, I think, the mid to late 90s. And one of the reasons, one of the things that that I think about that story was I followed these women, three women, and ultimately all of them died from breast cancer. And as we know, in today's world, 
the statistics are so much better. Even though one in eight women will get it, most survive. And had we had the techniques today that we had back then, I think those women would still be alive. But that was a really poignant story, a series of stories. Another one that I, uh, that I won for was for um, a program. I had my, a show of my own called Jane's New York for a while. And we brought this show to life uh, kind of in the wake of 9-11. I really wanted to do a show that would really promote New York City and bring people back to it and help bring it back to life. And so I had this wonderful program. It was an hour long. And, and the basic um, premise of the program was to do a one-hour show or to do a show every week that was focused on one subject that had to be related to New York City. So I was able to do shows from all over the world because just about anything you can find is related to New York City in one way or another. So um, I went to the um, Gobi Desert in Mongolia with some superstar paleontologists from the American Museum of Natural History on a dinosaur dig. That was pretty cool. We found the remains of four baby dinosaurs with their heads all pointed in the same direction, which led them to believe it was some catastrophic event that made them all die so suddenly. And of course, these scientists travel in style. So we had these very big semi-trailer trucks going through the Gobi Desert where there's no roads that had generators with them to um, keep the refrigeration going for the oodles of fish and steak and all those great things they brought along. And of course, for the wine cellar that had beautiful wines in it. So, so it was really, it was a lot of fun um, to be able to do things like that. The wine cellar. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, it was good. But the thing that's interesting about the Gobi Desert is there's absolutely no sound uh, and there's no lights because there's nothing around it for miles and miles. So we play guitars um, on a football sized field area and you could hear a whisper from the other side of the field. It's just odd, but pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. When were you on 9-11 when that happened? I was uh, the first person on the air. Um, I was sitting in the studio doing ready to do a news update and it was also fashion week in new york so i was in the studio because i was going to make a beeline out to get to a fashion show when a producer says to me in my ear um within 30 seconds of the first plane hitting saying something's hit the world trade center all we have are the pictures from our empire state building cam um start talking so that's sometimes what happens when you're live on the air in a, as a television newscaster. So all I could talk about were the pictures. And then they found a janitor who'd been taking out the trash on West 12th Street. And his name was Anthony. And we get him on the phone. And, you know, that first plane had gone right over his head, flown right over him. And I and we thought it was at first we thought it was some small plane that literally got lost or something. And so Anthony says, it was a big plane and it was blue and gray and silver. And he said, I swear it revved up as it got towards that tower and it went right into it. We need to pray because everyone's dead. Now, this is within two minutes of the thing happening. And I'm saying, well, we can't speculate like that. Just tell me what you saw. Meantime, I have nowhere else to go because I don't know any other information and nobody else does either. So I kind of had him repeat the story and he kept insisting that there's no way anybody could survive from what he saw. Well, guess what? He was actually right. We just didn't know it. But I'll never forget trying, you know, that day then and trying to kind of keep your head about you and having 
so little information until we actually got reporters down on the scene. I was on the air for almost eight hours straight, just continuing to tell the story and watching with horror as things got worse and worse and worse and worse. But we knew that our job that day was to uh, provide information so that people could get home safely, so that we could do what we could to, you know, bring the news to the world. And at the same time, also just try to, um, you know, keep, keep things going so that people felt some sense of security in any kind of a weird way. It was a hard day. It was a super, super hard day. And I remember that um, when I finally got off the air, my family brought some clothing to me so that I could, you know, stay at a hotel right across the street from NBC. And as, as I was, um, they, we, they got out of their car, these jets flew overhead. They were U.S., obviously, military jets that were patrolling the sky in New York. And I just dove for the ground, in the middle of the street, dove for the ground because it scared the heck out of me. And um, it was it was a frightening day for all of us. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Nor will I. I was home at the time, but someone was watching TV and they said, Dan, come on over here and have a look at this. And I think it was the same cam that you're talking about. And uh, the, the uh, one first tower was on fire. And then the, in about three or four minutes, I saw this ghost of a second plane hit the other tower. And... Uh, at first, we thought it was just a fire. You know, we all we all had our own uh, situations that we had to live through that day. And uh, NBC was is in Rockefeller Center, is it? Is it, it was. Yeah. It was. Or it still is, of course. Um, at one point, uh, our bosses came into the studio and said, "There are other threats. We don't know. I mean, because we're such an iconic building." It's entirely possible that we could be a target as well. Anybody who wants to leave, leave. Well, our studio was on the sixth floor. And I remember thinking to myself, they can't possibly hit at the sixth floor. They're going to be hitting up there on the 52nd. And I think I got plenty of time to get out if something happened. So I just stayed put. I thought that was my job to do that. Yeah, that was quite something. What was yeah. the most fun you've had on a, a, a story? Oh man, I don't even know how to describe the fun I've had. I've had the privilege of watching history be made before my eyes, but some of the things, you know, like for example, Cirque du Soleil, I'm doing a story on Cirque du Soleil. And so they, and I always got involved in the stories. So they said, okay, come on, we want you to do something with the acrobats. So the next thing I know, they've got me all, you know, oh. into some kind of a harness and they're letting me fly across the sky and I'm going, Whoa! And at first was terrified, but then, you know, then I kind of got into it and it was a lot of fun. I could never do what they do, but for that moment in time, it was great. I did the same thing when Peter Pan was on Broadway and wow. they had me fly like Peter Pan did, you know, across the stage. And that was, that was pretty fun. I did a whole show about comedy. And so I did a comedy routine at Caroline's on Broadway. And I actually had a coach. There was a comedy college. And so I went to comedy college because I'm not a comedian. I admire people who are, but I'm sure not one. So this coach worked with me to prepare a five minute routine and I did it at Caroline's. And there's this big red light that only the performer can see. And when the red light came on, it meant your time was over. And the coach said to me, they're gonna laugh really hard because you've honed these jokes. Don't get to thinking that you can be funny on your own. 
And so the red light comes on and I'm starting, I keep talking and he's in the back going like this, just motioning me with, you know, across the neck, like cut it off now. So I shut up. I did, you know, it's just, I just got out of there because I knew that he was right, but that was a lot of fun. I've been, you know, up in jets flying through the sky. I've been um, on, on, on another show, we run the QM2 and I'm up on the, you know, with the, the captain and he actually let me get the steering wheel and kind of turn the boat. Something like that is like turning an iceberg. So it made no difference, but still it was very powerful. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the thing is just about anything that happened in New York or near abuts, we had an opportunity to participate in. And so it um, it's made me feel like I've had an awful lot of super cool experiences that I relish. How did it get started? And I know you told me that uh, you got the job, but there must have been time between when you were living at home in this small town and uh, you went off to not know what was going to happen. And uh, how did how did how did that come about? Did you have any idea you wanted to be a broadcaster before oh. you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And my love for journalism and news started when I was very young. My dad, who was an avid news junkie, would read me from he would read me stories from the newspaper when I was a little girl. And um, oh, and I and I I always thought that was the way for me coming from a tiny town like that to go out and see the world and to ask questions and tell stories because I've always wanted to tell stories. So I actually graduated um, from a school in the Midwest at the University of Minnesota, which has a tremendous journalism program. I ended up working in the Midwest briefly and I was at a television station in Iowa when I got a call from WNBC and you know, inviting me to come out for an interview. But I thought it was a joke because one doesn't usually move from Iowa to New York City from the 72nd market to the first market in a very early try. And so I kept I hung up on the news director three times because I, I said, I know this is a joke. So finally, the fourth time he said, write down my number. So I thought I'm going to call this number back and it's going to be a joke. And I call the number back and um, his assistant answers. And, you know, she says, WNBC TV, Ron Kershaw's office. And I went, oh, boy, I have blown this for sure. I identified myself and she started to laugh. And she said, no one has ever hung up on him like that. And so she goes, let me get him. She said, we were wondering if you were going to call back. So um, an affiliate out there. I was not at an NBC station. I was at a CBS station then. But he'd seen a tape of mine through, there were some old fashioned talent scouts back then, and he'd seen my tape. And so he invited me to come for an interview and offered me the job within a few days. But then when, when I got there, he told me I was so wonderful. Then I show up and he hands me a bunch of business cards. And I said, what are these? And he goes, well, one's a voice coach because you got that weird Midwestern accent. One's a stylist because you're closed. You got to fix those up. Here's a hairdresser. I'm like, you told me I was perfect. He goes, we're just polishing you up a bit. <laughs> By the way, where are you now? You look like Palm Beach to me. That's where I am. And uh are you down there for the winter or, or do you go down there all, all, every winter? No, actually, I, um, I, I am down here now for the winter. I came down last winter during COVID because I felt the need and we were all working virtually anyway. So I came down here to uh, be able to be outdoors 
in the middle of the winter. I just felt it was going to be probably a little bit safer and that I wouldn't have to, you know, feel so isolated and enclosed. And I liked it so much that I ended up getting a place here. And now I'm back here for this winter. I go back up to New York um, frequently, usually one week a month. I'm supposed to be there, in fact, right now, but all of the clients I was going to work with because Omnicrom kind of reared its ugly head a couple of weeks ago, and they all said to me, we'd rather work virtually instead of in person this week. So that's why I'm here at this moment. Otherwise, I'd be up there freezing along with the rest of you. <laughs> also, you know, I'm doing some stuff with Vicki Schnapps, who, whose company now owns Vance Papers, and we're, um, she's doing a Palm Beach edition, so I'm helping her with that. Sure, and I found the, the joint. Yeah, exactly. So it, it um, you know, it's all fun. And I think it's a great idea because there's so many people down here from the Hamptons and from New York, so many restaurants that are here, so many um, businesses. And I'm telling you, I walk down the street or I go into a restaurant or whatever I do, and I see somebody I know from New York. It's crazy. Sure. It's like an invasion. The whole population has changed, I think, in uh, the uh, recent era. Mm -hmm. From the old guard to the new guard, I guess you would have to call it that. Yep. And and there's all these branches now, of, like the Hospital for Special Surgery has now got a wonderful facility here um, in Palm Beach. There's, um, you know, there's just a lot that's going on that where there's a great deal of synergy between the two places. And, 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 I, and I really like that because it feels very much like home in that regard, but currently home without the really cold temps and the snow. Well, we had a minus four degrees wind chill uh, two days ago. Uh, I didn't even go outside. Yeah, I remember. What are you doing up and uh, what is your, you're your still, you're still, uh, uh, are you still at NBC now or are you doing something? No, no. Um, I still do some television work. You know, I do occasional shows for people and, and that sort of thing. And I do some, some tapings, but mainly I do communications coaching. I help people learn how to make great presentations and how to do great interviews. There's media training, presentation training, video training. So I do a lot of that. And it's really fun because I discovered that all of my television work, and I did a lot of, I also did a lot of work out in the public when I was at NBC doing emceeing events, making speeches, moderating panels, giving out awards. Um, I was involved in a tons of charity and that sort of thing. And so I discovered that I really knew how to do that and help yeah. teach people how to do it. So it's a lot of fun. And I do it with, you, you name it, and they're a client just from all kinds of walks of life. And, and I love that because it keeps me challenged. I learn all kinds of new things and I can help them acquire new skills so that they get really good at being on a Zoom, for example, or making a presentation um, anywhere or giving a speech or doing an interview of some sort, be it um, digitally or be it on a podcast like we're doing right now or being on TV. So it's great stuff. And uh, you you do that, I guess with Zoom you can do that anywhere. Mm-hmm. I can. Yeah. Yep. 
So that was the beauty of last year during COVID. I could really work all the time and work got pretty intense because lots of people decided they need help because they were now, you know, because it was COVID and because they had to be virtual. So that, that was, you know, it was an interesting time. Do you ever think of writing a book or have you written one about all your adventures? I've thought about it and I started a couple of times, but I've never quite gotten there. It'd be fun to do, but, you know, patience and it's not my virtue. And so I think, I think to write a book, one has to be extremely disciplined and very patient about the process. Okay. This has been a wonderful talk. It's been nice seeing you. And, well, uh, you're such a you're such a legend, you know. Well, so are you. <laughs> <laughs> well, your reputation precedes you. I mean, you've done pretty amazing things out there on the east end of Long Island. So Well, I, I did, as I mentioned, I did work for two weeks in the city room at the New York Times, and all I could talk about was the Hamptons. Yep. So they said, we don't think you belong here. <laughs> said, You're right. Funny. It's like your heart and soul there, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show. And uh, I'll, uh, I hope to get down there. But right now, it doesn't look like that's going to happen very soon. Uh, I wanted to be down there for the founding of the uh, new edition. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I'll see you when I come. I hope so. We'll have lunch or dinner. It'll be fun. Well, stay safe. All right, you too. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Bye bye.